0: What we're going to do today is, in fact, I want to just specifically say to you men, if you guys need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have some ushers that will get you a Bible. In fact, if you would like, you can open up to John chapter 6, verses 6 through 60. We will be reading that in just a moment. We've been on a... Uh one sermon, which has basically been uh, broken up into three parts over the past several weeks, and it's really a subject matter of discipleship. We're just calling this entire like three part movement. Or it's really one sermon, three, three parts, um, the challenges of discipleship, and each one, I think I have a slide right here that kind of breaks down the last three weeks that we've been essentially looking at. The uh, next slide, kind of the three little segments on there. I think next slide, they'll find it. Here we go. Um, so first week, we looked at the question of like, what is a disciple? Not last week, we looked at the challenges of discipleship. Today, I want to just kind of finish up with some giving you guys specifically some practical tools to remain faithful as a disciple of Jesus. Um, again, there's all sorts of means to push back against us. We looked at those again last week, the challenges that are there. Uh, if you were not here last week, my encouragement would just check out the podcast, go to our YouTube channel as well. We have all that stuff right there so you to, for you to listen to and check it out. But specifically, I want to dedicate today to you men. So men, listen up carefully. My hope, especially for you men, because again, whether you are a dad or a granddad or a dad to be, or you got kids, you don't even know that you got kids. The fact of the matter is your life has value and meaning and purpose, and God wants to awaken you to the reality of that, That cannot be linked or, or separated from the importance of what it means to follow jesus so my hope today would be to dedicate this to you it's really for anybody and everybody of course but uh specifically to you men so that in this pursuit of following jesus that you would remain faithful one last little caveat i want to just add i've also just spent the past 30 years of my life in the ministry up close personal with thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I have had the privilege of spending time with, getting to know, invest in their life, having some degree of knowing what's going on inside the lives of other people. But I can, one, I can say one thing conclusively. In, in general, by and large, almost every catastrophic event that's ever happened in a marriage, in a family, in a church, in a, in a leadership situation, or an abusive circumstance, every single time, with the exception of a handful of small, small case circumstances that could be a, a female, majority of the time they are men. Men, somewhere there's a failure, there's a there's a breakdown, there is a drift from the teachings of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, the actions of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and in that drift comes this catastrophic event that then creates a chain event, chain reaction of events that brings this devastation and destruction um, cascading down in, in the lives. In some cases, generations, generations. Whether it be a a father that's been unfaithful, that has uh, wreaked havoc for generations to come. Still, you know, even as he's 80 years old, looking at his life, assessing, being like, man, what I did when I was 25 years old, I wish I can do my life over again. What is that? That's like 50 years of regret and guilt and shame built up. So what I want to suggest to you is that the, the, the stakes are high. Okay, Stakes are high. And as men go, specifically as men how you gauge, how you live, how you uh, plan out, how you map your life and how you live your life matters. It's it's not in a vacuum. It's not separate from the rest of, of many people. Again, I think the, there's a subtlety that oftentimes men tend to think that um, what I do in private or what I do in some other remote part of the world is not going to have a radical impact, but they always, always have radical impact. So my hope would be to minimize um, devastation and impact in a negative sense, but really not just as an aim as, in and of itself, but really more so than that, to create a positive World? How do we create a world that is filled with love and joy and peace and goodness and protection and guidance and provision? Um, and I think the way that we do that, first and foremost, as men, for you to get a good understanding as to what it means to follow Jesus and to live faithfully following Jesus all the days of your life. And to be aware of the challenges that are there, like we looked at last week, and uh, anchor all that into a good, healthy definition as to what a disciple is. But today I want to just kind of finish up with some tools for faithful discipleship. So before we even jump into looking at that, I want to just read the passage here right now. So John chapter 6, verse 60 through 71. I'll read this. If you want, you can just follow along. It will also be up on the screen. Um, Quick little context, again, uh, by this review, Jesus had just fed uh, multitudes of people. Uh, he withdraws from his disciples from around verse sixteen to twenty-one. He goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A storm arises. You are familiar with the whole situation. Then Jesus has this lengthy dialogue with his disciples and others about him being the bread of life. There is confusion that ensues. People are tripping out. It's through the words of Jesus. They're they're confused. They're frustrated. They're they're um, they're scandalized by the words of Jesus. Then we see uh, in verses sixty through sixty-one, Jesus then turns back to them and he asks the question: Are you? Are you scandalized by me? Are you offended by me? And it raises this question as to really what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because part of following Jesus means that sometimes Jesus will say things that you just don't get. You don't understand. In fact, you might even be scandalized or offended by that. That's part of the process of following Jesus. So if you are ever offended or have ever been offended by Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're not a disciple. Just means that you are, you are faced with a challenge. And the questions that then ensue of what am I gonna do with these offenses? Am I gonna hold on to these offenses, cultivate these offenses, uh, coddle these offenses, nurture them, let them grow, let them become, you know, fully feeding my soul for future generations to come. And then you end up becoming an 80 year old grumpy, bitter old human being. Or you can do something with those offenses. That looks similar to what we're going to read about here in just a moment here. So with that being said, let's jump in verses 60 through 71. I'll read it, and then we'll get to work looking at some of the ways in which I think we could uh, foster or put tools to work in order to uh, maintain a long, healthy discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus over their lifetime. Verse 60 says this. When many of the disciples heard this, the words of Jesus, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? And again, as I mentioned last week, the word offense there is the word scandal. Like, are you scandalized by me? Am I scandalous to you? And then it says, and then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. Flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some... Who do not believe? For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe, in who it was who would betray him. And he said, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father." Verse sixty-six. Six. After this, many disciples then turned back and no longer walked with him. Just imagine that. Imagine that. Thousands of people following Jesus. Maybe in some cases, you know, a little bit of a thinner crowd, hundreds of people. But in this context, imagine rather than people turning and walking to Jesus, people hearing Jesus, being offended by Jesus, and rather than turning and walking him, they turn and walk away, shaking their heads, being like, this guy's a nutcase. Then Jesus turns to his disciples, the 12, these are the main, main crew. Do you want to go away as well? Do you feel the the pain in Jesus' voice? I do when I when I read this. I, just, I cannot help. Um, maybe it's because I've I grew up in a family where my parents divorced when I was young, so I dealt with my own like little childhood abandonment stuff. Um, pastoring a church for the length of time that I have you, you deal with abandonment you deal with the feeling of like people that are part of your team and then sometimes they're not part of your team and you feel a sense of like oh man like, who who's who's part the team like who's who's on who's 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 committed who's here who's for the long run who's on the journey who's not on the journey anymore um who who's in because of certain favors or things that they're gaining or consumer type things that are that are beneficial and who's who's just simply here because it's convenient and then when the convenience are no longer there, they're, they're gone. This is exactly what was going on with, with I think, in, in Jesus. Now, I don't think Jesus was dealing with this level of insecurity that we as human beings often do, or especially myself. But the point of the matter is, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Are, are you going to leave me too? And then it goes on to say, And then Simon Peter and then answer him, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believed and have come to know that you are the Holy Son of God. And then Jesus answered them and said, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Iscariot, for he was one of the twelve that was going to betray him. And this is the word of God. So, very fast, like, um, recap. Last week, or a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what is a disciple. You can go ahead and take a snapshot of that, again, just kind of get the, the message online. Uh, we looked at a disciple. Bottom line is one that follows Jesus, uh, one that is being formed by Jesus, and one that is doing the good that Jesus himself did. That's what a disciple is. So again, you can just do a quick assessment of your own life. It's like, am I following Jesus? Am I doing the good that Jesus did? Am I becoming shaped and formed by the person of Jesus? If not, then... Again, I just humbly submit to you, you might have church, you might have some form of like Christianity, you might have religion, you're, you're not a disciple, you're not a follower of Jesus. My hope would be that you would become a follower of Jesus, that you would see Jesus so compelling, so good, so kind, so loving, so, so earth-shatteringly beautiful and good, that you would give everything up in order to follow him with the sum total of all of your energy, in your life, um, but again we, we can 't con- compel anybody to do that you can 't force anybody to do that you can 't like guilt people into doing that you, you, at some point, the Holy Spirit has to open the eyes of someone that says, "I want nothing else other than Jesus. He alone is good. He alone is God, and I will give everything to follow him because of, of who he is and what he offers and how he just has shown me dignity and value and respect and forgiveness and cleansing and a cast a new future for me. I will give everything for him. Second thing we looked at, challenges of discipleship. You guys are on it today. Good job, by the way. Uh, challenges of discipleship. we will go through these really fast again. I'll recap. Um, we looked at some of the major challenges and hardships that we face in our culture today that are constantly, uh, pushing back or that we, again, the big analogy that I mentioned last week is that this is the water that we swim in. Most of us are not aware of that because it is the water that we swim in. It's just there. We're not aware of the impact or the current, uh, the currents that we find ourselves getting swept up in, but they're there. So number one is the, uh, the, that we are in this culture that's shaped by information. And the myth is that uh, more information just simply makes you a disciple. Second one is individualism. Third is this uh, culture of personal decision. You know, just, you have the power. There's, as long as you say uh, the, the Jesus prayer Then somebody you're, you're a Christian, it doesn't make you a disciple, but uh, maybe you have some sort of like proof of against, you know, fire insurance so that when you die, you'll go to heaven someday, but you can live the rest of your life as if You know, hell is kind of what motivates and moves you and shapes you. Um, That's not discipleship, by the way. It's just the personal decision. Um, Lastly, consumerism. And it's just the idea of just treating uh, the goods and services of the church or of Jesus as something to be simply consumed. These are all various forms that are constantly challenges to what it means to really follow Jesus. So today I want to just jump right back into um, the conclusion of this, and I'm done. So these are some ways, I think tools, think of these as instruments or tools that my my hope would be that would help you to remain faithful to Jesus. Again, my, my big aim, especially for you men, Knowing the cultural pressures and the challenges and the hardships and the expectations that are leveled upon you. And then when you fail to those, and you will fail them, the amounts of guilt, shame, regret cycles that you find yourself going through. And the myriad of different ways in which we can uh, um, uh, remove um, the sense of guilt, shame cycles off of our souls by way of, you know, I oftentimes describe it as, you know, sex, substances. Suicide, throw, th- throw it in again. We have these v- different ways in which men oftentimes deal with the guilt, shame, regret cycles. And, and all of them are, are shaped or touched by the evil one that don't ultimately ever get you to a place of wholeness and healing. The, the only thing that's going to get you there is Jesus. Discipleship to Jesus. But like I said last week, following Jesus is a reward. It's rewarding, but it is exceptionally hard. It's not easy. Everything in our culture is pushing back against you. We have the the cultural milieu which we live in, which I just described. That's there. That you might not even be aware of. That's shaping us. It's pushing against us. So it's like like cult or like a current. If you've ever been out swimming in the ocean and you get caught up in a riptide, tide, doesn't matter how hard you swim or how good of a swimmer you are, you are just going to go wherever that, that this massive current is taking you. Um, a couple of years ago, I I'd never done this before, but we went to Oregon. And we were right on a river. I think it was like, oh, I think it was Bend, Oregon, something like that. Anyways, yeah, Bend, you guys are from Bend. Um, But we, this is the first time ever, like, I I just took a raft and just, like, went all the way upstream, like, a couple miles. I walked up there, took my car, whatever, and then just got in a raft and just, like, floated. It was, hey, you guys ever done that? I've never done that before. And it was it was awesome. Just like kind of just chill, listen to an audiobook, just float. Like I'd never done that before. And it was so funny because it was like, wow, this is actually relaxing. I'm not surfing because I'm not like paddling. I'm not working. I'm not exerting any energy. I am sweating because this is really hot. And I'm just like, this this is actually awesome. But the, the the thing is I'm being shaped or moved by this current. And that's that's what it is. If you don't if you're not actively engaging with the work of God. Then these other currents will just take you someplace. Those currents that we looked at. So these are tools that I think hopefully will be helpful. So number one, let's let's just jump back into them. Um, handful of these are going to be directly linked to the passages uh, that we had just read, and then uh, a couple are a little bit of freebies. Number one, let's just take a look at the first one and. I think this is essential. Number one, you've got to have a proper perspective of Jesus. A proper perspective of Jesus. Um, in J.B. Phillips' book, he wrote a book called uh, Your God is Too Small. He reflects upon the problems that oftentimes were behind the cries of abandonment of uh, the, the the people of Israel's exile. So in other words, when they went away from the land of Israel or Palestine off into the state of exile, they were crying out to God. They were basically saying, God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you failed failed us. And God didn't fail them. But at that time in their life, uh, they all felt like God had abandoned them. God had failed them. We know, again, because we have the history books, we can look at the history, we realize actually God was in the midst of their exile and moving behind the scenes in ways nobody was ever able to even imagine or envision, but God nonetheless was still working. Even though they felt in that moment um this sense of abandonment. That but God was still there. But the big idea that JB Phillips is wanting to convey is this our, our God oftentimes is too small. The way that we think about God is too small and the way that we think about our problems or challenges or hardships way too big. So there's certain things in our lives that we give an extraordinary amount of energy and weight and gravitas to and the ideas of God Whoa, Sirius is talking to me. Sorry. Does that ever happen to you? My wife's name is Sherry, and it's oftentimes I'll say, hey, Sherry, and then Sherry responds. I'm like, you know, what? my wife. Anyways, but the point of the matter is, um, we oftentimes have this way of minimizing God and maximizing or envisioning a bigger reimagination uh, of our understanding of the problems that we find ourselves facing. And oftentimes, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. Um, you know, you can look at a mountain uh, from a distance. So if you look at, like, say, for example, the, I don't know, three of the four, uh, seven sisters that are lined up in San Luis Obispo, um, one of them looks a little bit bigger than the other. But the, the if you're looking at them kind of lined up this way, um, the, it's a matter of perspective. But if you move and you drive a little bit and you begin to look at them from a different perspective, you begin to realize not only is one of them is not necessarily bigger, but they space fairly decently far apart. Um, and that's oftentimes true with life. We have a tendency to look at the problems that we face. And as a result of that, those problems take us somewhere. The way that we respond to those problems take us somewhere. Uh, Martin Luther had written to uh, one of his protégés, a guy named Erasmus. He says, your thoughts on God are too human. I like that. Your thoughts on God are too human. Uh, we tend to uh, think of God in humanistic terms, that God has is, is, is got limitations, in other words. God is not capable or God is not able to do certain things. Or the challenges that we face are too complicated for God to unravel or to fix. But I think what Jesus is trying to do here is that, remind us, is that he's in a category all his own. So again, John chapter 6, verse 68 says this, um, when when Peter describes, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So what we see specifically about Jesus is that he's Lord. He has the words of life. Uh, he is the Holy One of God. This is all within the larger, broader context where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. You come to me, you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. Uh, if you don't eat of me, you'll forever be hungry. I mean, these are massively big statements that Jesus makes about himself, so again, the question is is what is your perspective of Jesus? Is it possible uh, your God is too small? your understanding your vision of God is way too small? How do you uh, make it bigger? How do you oftentimes cultivate a lifestyle and again, this comes through there's the, literally this sounds so simple and it 's not simple. I mean, it's, you can say it simply, but the fact of no the matter, the practice, it takes time and energy. It comes through reading scripture. It comes through reading audio books or listening to reading books or listening to audio books. It comes through listening to podcasts, uh, being in fellowship, um, having people around you that can be praying for you. It involves a whole uh, lifestyle that is connected to Jesus. Uh, and, and I find most of us uh on a functional level we are starving our souls and and we're feasting feasting our souls upon the things of this world and so when challenges come we don't really notice to what level or degree um that we are satiated or feasting off the stuff of the world and starving off the things of god until trials come and hardships come challenges we face then we realize like oh man god where are you but nonetheless This is the type of stuff that it boils down to how do we cultivate a lifestyle that is consistently... Uh, viewing a proper perspective of Jesus. That's number one. I think this is going to be a, a lifelong tool that requires regular cultivation for you to develop, especially men. Think about it this way. Many men develop good habits in their life for business practices, for health and wellness practices. They work out. They have a regular ability of being able to go to the gym, uh, surf, exercise, functional, whatever it is that you do. But oftentimes the idea of actual spiritual practices, praying, reading scripture, oftentimes get table scraps. And when those challenges come, our soul feels the impact of that. So again, it's a matter of like sort of reverse engineering of saying, if I want my soul to be anchored deeply into the things of God, there are certain things I'm going to have to do right now while things are not necessarily tumultuous or challenging or compromised or hard so that my soul will be in a good place when it is facing these uh, challenges. So that's number one. Number two, uh, we're, we have to remind ourselves that the Spirit is always working. And I get this from John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus said in this little dialogue, uh, it is the Spirit who gives life. So Jesus' whole point is, and he goes on to say, it's the flesh, prophets, us nothing. But I really want to focus on this idea that the Holy Spirit himself has an aim and an agenda and a purpose in this world. It's to bring life. Um, I, I'm not even going to ask, but like, if, if I were to ask, again, sometimes I think we, we we have misconceptions as to having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because we tend to think, in terms of, especially at least I do, I tend to think in like hyper-weird, charismatic, freaky things where if you've got a relationship with the Spirit, you're going to be speaking in tongues and doing weird things. But that may happen. But the point that I'd make is this, is that the Holy Spirit is part of this triune nature of who God is. And and his aim is to bring life. He's a life-giving agent in this world. So I think to the degree that we realize that the Spirit is always working, always moving. You say, I don't feel the Holy Spirit working. But he's always working nonetheless. In the same way the children of Israel, when they were in exile, they were convinced that God had abandoned them. You know, years later, years go by, circumstances change They are able to look back in hindsight and realize like, ah, we were wrong. God was working all along. How do we know this? And again, thank God. They journaled this. They wrote it down in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. So you and I can read scriptures today and be reminded of these regular paradigms or challenges or epochs in the history of the people of Israel where they would go through challenges. They would question, is God really here? And then years go by, they begin to realize, no, wait a minute. God was here all the time. And then on repeat. You guys ever go through cycles like that in your life? Challenges come. You're like, where's God? I think God failed me. Or I think I did something so bad, so annoying to God this time that there's no way that God is going to, like, answer my prayers in this moment, in this season. Because I push the limits way beyond limits that God is even capable of handling. But again, the more familiar you are with the story, the scriptures, the stories of faithful people that have been transformed and changed by God the more familiar you become with the Holy Spirit always working. And part of that process is you will have emotional responses of, I don't think the Holy Spirit's working. So it's a a matter in some ways of learning to doubt your doubts, which is one of the things I'll get to in just a moment. Learning to doubt your doubts. So third one we see that God the Father is for you. This is John chapter 6, verse 65. And Jesus said, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father, unless it's granted him by the Father. So Jesus' whole aim and point in this particular context is to say that God himself is up to something. That God is the one who's wooing. Um, what I love about this passage is what Jesus is, is very clearly indicating. That it's, it's the Father that initiates the step towards you. I don't know how you think about that. And I don't know how you think about God, because I realize in our culture, and even in our own disposition, in our own life, we oftentimes form ideas about who God is, and what God is like, and um, how God acts, and it's it's not entirely abstract to imagine many people formulate their ideas of who God is, and how God acts, based upon their own dad. This is one of the reasons why I said earlier, like the, the role of fatherhood is absolutely essential, because it does help shape um, I've, I've been fascinated over the past several years by just the writings of more modern philosophers and especially existential French philosophers. And one thing that has been mind blowing to me is that almost every single modern French existential philosopher that has ever written today that has literally set and shaped the course of American California history today, were all written by most of them, dudes, not all who had horrible relationships with their dad. Dad abandoned, dad was gone, dad was a womanizer, dad was just a horrible human being. And these were men that in adolescence to young adulthood began to take up the pen and write, and all of them are trying to process what is life, and what's the purpose and the meaning of life. Well, that's right, my dad is an idiot, I hate him. And this fuels, this sense of angst fuels their actions, their I- ideas about God. And then that leads into um, how they think about their morality, their ethics, how they treat other people, how they use other people, so on and so forth. But the point that I make is this, is that it, God the Father, if we see and receive, I would say, the, the the revelation that Jesus gives of who God is, what we see is that this is a God that initiates. It, it is... It is We we don't even come to Jesus unless God himself begins to first move. And again, this has raised many, many questions throughout the years of like, you know, do I take the first step? Does God take the first step? But the fact of the matter is Jesus clearly pointing it. No, it's, it's unless the Father, God is moving, God is working, God is doing something. First and foremost, he's making that first initial step towards us and towards redemption. So again, I think to the degree that you recognize that God is for you, he 's not an angry father he 's not an angry landlord uh, in which you 're just a squatter on his property that 's not who he is he 's a father that initiates good things on your behalf. This will help be a tool for your longevity and faithfulness to jesus long term. Fourthly, assess the alternatives carefully, and I get this from John chapter six, verse six days, fourth one. Uh, Peter then asked Jesus, Lord. Where shall we go? Because Jesus, again, like I said, as I read earlier, he turns to the twelve and he says, Are you going to leave me too? Again, Jesus is assessing the crowd. He's realizing uh, they're all abandoning him. He turns to his own disciples. What about you? Um, Everyone else is leaving. You too? Peter formulates these words. Uh, Where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what I think is important is... To walk away from Jesus is to not walk away into a void. It's to walk towards something. The question is, what is that something? All of us as human beings, uh, we are just, we're not just simply following whatever um, is, is deep in our heart but we tend to think that we are. Again, we live in this culture that is consistently telling us just like, pursue your inner self, your desires, your longings, because that is what will lead you to true happiness. And the fact of the matter is, is that all forms of marketing and media, uh, advertising agencies, social media, they're, they're playing, the algorithms, they're playing off of they, they're, it's trained to know what you long for. Yeah, you know that, yes, that little search that you just did a couple weeks ago. Yes, that sets in motion an algorithm. Yes, that kicks, starts certain advertisements that just randomly pop up. You're like, whoa, why am I getting all these advertisements for shoes all of a sudden? Because it, it knows. It knows, right? And so it's like, I think I want to, like, go into business buying shoes for a living right now. It's like, like how did that come into place? And so the question is, are you shaping that, or are you being played upon and being shaped? This is the world that we live in. So what I would suggest to you is our hearts will actively pursue Jesus, or we'll find it being pursued by something else, and then pursuing something else. this, This odd conglomeration of desires mingled with influences that are playing upon us, monetizing us. But the point that I would make is this, is that assess those alternatives carefully. What will you follow? Like Peter asks, where will we go? Where will you go? What are your alternatives? What's available to you? And if you want to ask even more sub-questions beneath that, like where will those things lead you? Where will they take you? What's their outcome? What's their end? What will they do for you? How will they help you? What will they suck from you? What will they demand from you? Yes, they might offer something. They will give you something. But they will also take something in return. And it's just... Talking with a friend of ours that we hadn't seen uh, in a couple months yesterday, my wife and I. I saw her. She's got a, a young, early 20s daughter. And we're like, How are you doing? And she was she had a look of just despair on her face. And she says, My daughter died. And I was just there. I just saw her at Farmer's Market a couple, couple months ago. Gave her a big hug, prayed for her. And she's been a struggling state in her whole life. She's struggled with variety of drug addictions and alcoholism and all that and she's she 's gone now i, I and and the, the fact that matters is that life is frail the The path that she was on demanded everything from her and ultimately her life, and was only giving her small drips, small drips of appeasement and of hope and moments of elation and moments small drip lines of just like. A satisfied soul, but it demanded everything from her. So the question again that Peter's asking Jesus: Where else will we go? Needs to be your question: Where else, where you will you go? Yes, life gets hard. Yes, life is challenging. Yes, there are pressures. Yes, the world is getting dark and seems to be getting darker. Yes, all of these things are definitely part and parcel of the world in which we live. In. But where will you go apart from Jesus? That needs to be a question that you that you carefully, carefully analyze. I'll just give you a, real quickly just kind of an overview. There's, there's five major isms or, that oftentimes culture at large will, will will gravitate towards. I'll go through these real quickly. Number one, humanism, secularism or secular humanism is oftentimes described. And this is kind of defined by human reason, ethics, morality, compassion, all without the need for any form of supernatural um uh, influence human potential without the need of being religious or guidance or having guidance uh, from any form of religion So this is what humanism is. In other words, we don't need God. We don't need any form of religion We can literally figure this out on our own um, And yet the, the, the reality is is, is that th- I think this is one of the reasons why people and uh, Sociologists have been identifying this for a long time that you remove religion from my culture any form of religion. I mean, it can be Islam, it can be Mormonism, it can be Christianity, Judaism. Some idea that there's a God out there over above and beyond all things that, that gives life and purpose and meaning outside of the system. When you remove that, when you become secularized, oftentimes what begins to fill in that gap are, are people. Let's call it politics. Have you watched over the past few years how people become hyper-politicized? Even in the church? Hyper-politicized? I'll tell you why. Because God no longer has the uh, all-authority power that he has. Now, again, politics, I think, is important. I'm not saying politics is unimportant. It's absolutely important. But when politics becomes all-important, when it becomes the main supreme uh, guiding principle, whether from a left perspective or a right perspective, it's all driven by the same secular humanistic mindset The second thing is atheism is the idea that just rejects any form of belief in god or gods or deities instead just relies upon empirical evidence science reason um I, I honestly um science this idea of atheism has been popularized i actually think it's kind of on its way out i think it will always be around there will always be remnants of it, but for the most part i actually believe it's coming out, it's going out of popularity because more and more people today are recognizing there's something driving the universe. We don't know what it is. It's, it's some form of spiritualism. And then third thing is materialism. Uh, and this is the idea that basically says that value... Um, is oftentimes affixed or attached to material possessions, physical comforts, wealth, consumerism, comfort as a source of happiness and fulfillment. In other words, you know, the, the more you get, the more you gain. If you can just tap into buying a house and if you got health and wellness and you own a house and you have a, you know, good education from a great college, then you know what? You are literally set for life. Your standard of life and goodness is all basically interwoven to this idea of materialism. Third or fourth, I should say, is hidden. And I would say this is a very popular one in America, especially Central Coast, uh, St. Luis Uh Hedonism basically teaches that, or it has the idea, that pleasure and personal gratification is the highest goal. In other words, if God is not the highest goal, and God's aims are not the highest goal, then what is the highest goal? Because we're a hyper-individualized community, um, it boils down, it's right to say that my pleasure upon life, and upon the landscape of life, Um, And personal gratification is the highest goal. This would involve like sensory experiences, self-indulgence, oftentimes without considering long-term consequences, moral considerations. Again, we live in a world that's hyper-sexualized. So you add hyper-sexualization with hedonism, and you've got this radically awesome lifestyle that we just call California. All right? Just have as much sex as you want. Be as sexual as you want, as many encounters as you want, remove any limits. So if you want a thruple, grab a thruple. If you want, you know, friends with benefits, go grab friends with benefits. If you just want a one-night stand, go for it. It's all good. It's all good. It all really boils down to what is most pleasurable to you. That is this mindset of hedonism. Last one is spiritualism. And this is the idea that basically views spiritual practices, beliefs. Um, this oftentimes has a higher emphasis upon um, like personal self-control um, from various traditions and emphasize personal growth, inner healing, utilizing concepts such as energy, astrology, crystals, meditation, mindfulness, and enlightenment. This is sort of a spiritualistic type way. It's a way of basically saying, I'll take spirit, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. I'm, I'm suspect of Jesus, but spiritual stuff, absolutely. I'm all into it. If, if I can obtain power through a crystal, I'll take that. But, but what I'm suggesting to you, that, that all of these are alternatives. So again, if not Jesus, then what? What will fill the gap? Where will you turn? Uh, fifthly, and I'm almost done. Doubt your doubts and reset your expectations. Doubt your doubts. I think oftentimes we give way more. I didn't come up with this, by the way. I think it was just an old Tim Kellerism that came up that was just meaningful to me. Doubt your doubts. Oftentimes we allow our doubts to have so much sway and power over us that in a state of doubting, we immediately are like, I'm no longer a Christian, I'm failing. I'm a... No, no. Part of walking with Jesus will involve having doubts that you wrestle through. There will be moments that you will hear and receive teachings of Jesus that are like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if I can even believe this. I don't even I can know if I can get behind this. And so therefore, the enemy comes in and is like, you're not a Christian anymore because you have doubts. That's okay. Part of walking with Jesus involves working through those doubts. But I think it, there's a healthy doubting of your doubts that needs to play. Lastly, press into the church family. And I touched on this a little bit last week. Um, but the point of the matter is is that we have been saved by Jesus into a community. And oftentimes, especially men, especially men, men listen up. We oftentimes do try to do uh, the Christian journey in isolation. I'm just going to be really bold and just tell you, you will fail. You will fail. Not because you're a failure, not because you're a horrible human being, but because you're human. You're not God. You will fail. And when you fail, we need considerable, consistent reminders that you are nonetheless loved, nonetheless accepted, and nonetheless have a place of belonging. And that's what the church is a continual reminder. We have a place of belonging. And that that combination of what again Luther described similar et peccator. Can't believe I even remember that. So be impressed by that, please. Um, if anything, just for my father's a gift. It means simultaneously, simultaneously, you have been saved, but you're also a sinner. Simultaneously justified and yet still in a state of Brokenness, And yet God accepts us and loves us as we are for who we are to be transformed in this state from one degree of glory to the next. And, and I, in closing, I, I think these are some really key ways, tools that will help you to have a faithful discipleship to Jesus over a long term. Um, apart from that, honestly, like I, I, I don't know how we can make it, especially the pressures that are there. And I didn't even touch on the little trichotomy that uh, John in the New Testament describes, where he describes the world, the flesh, and the devil. In some ways, I kind of address all of them, but but each of these things have their own significant impact and sway upon our souls. The world and all of its influences, the flesh, and you know this actual physical makeup that I have, and the urges, and lusts, and desires, and longings. To have and to receive or to grab something, um, and then the devil—the devil that's just there, constantly uh, tempting. And when I fail to live up to his temptations, then he's also there to condemn me. Your failure, you're unloved. God hates you. Don't go to church because you're just—you're not going to fit in there. Everybody thinks that you're a weird creep. But they're all walking with Jesus, and your failure—and that's what the devil does. He just mounts. Um, conviction and condemnation upon us over and over and over again. But my hope would be that in this little final of bringing things together with regard to this message on discipleship, my hope would be that each one of us would assess the claims of Jesus and realize who he is, what he invites us into, and let him reshape our hearts. Again, in the words of Jesus, or the words of Peter, Peter, Assessing who Jesus is, is, Lord, we have we have left all. And he says, You alone have the words of life, and you alone are the holy one of God. Just that those three phrases alone are enough to my hope would be to at least incite a fresh glimpse of who God is, so that your curiosity would become something that would drive you to discover who Jesus is, as a, as a good God, as a compelling God, as, as, a, as a better alternative to everything else that our culture is producing and creating on this conveyor belt of just options for us to buy into and to give our lives to and to hope that something that the world offers is going to give us something, a little drip line of hope, a little drip line of anything but despair that I have constantly as like an acute ache in my soul that Jesus instead says I'm going to blow up the whole system and I want to give you myself who will be like bread to your soul, who will feed you, who will satisfy you, who will mend your wounds, who will take your brokenness, and your false perceptions, who will take the longings and desires of your heart that have lied to you, that promised you to follow this dream, to chase after this appetite. And once you obtain that, just mock you you failed again you failed again. to remind us that this is a god that literally has given us everything that our hearts ever longed for and picked up the tab that's what salvation is this is how good jesus is so my hope would be if anything that jesus would be compelling enough to say i want to follow him all the days of my life that you would be aware of the challenges that are there. That you would be aware of a variety of tools that will help you over the long haul. So, I want to pray and I want to invite you to uh, stand with me as I close. And uh, as I pray for you all. Father, we thank you for your great love. and. We recognize, God, in this world, we will have tribulation. There will be hardships and challenges and difficulties that we face. And and yet we want to remain faithful to you. You remain faithful to us. We want to remain faithful to you. So, God, no matter where we're at in this life, whatever whatever, uh, types of challenges that we're facing or hardships or trials or temptations, God, we thank you that you are with us, that we can look to you and your faithfulness. To again and again initiate stepping in our direction to bring about a fresh rescue from whatever plight we find ourselves in. God, we thank you that even when we do turn from you, we do turn towards other vices, God, that there, you're there with wide open arms to receive and to forgive. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're not a Christian, or you have heard about the claims of Jesus, but you've never taken that step to just fully give yourself entirely over to him. Again, what that looks like, it's as simple as you just crying out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, forgive me. I want you. I want you in my life. I want my life to be shaped by you. My invitation to you is to just confess to him right now. Just confess him as king, as Lord, over all things. Ask him to wash you and to cleanse you. Ask him to draw near to you. And the truth of the matter is, is the gospel is pretty clear. The Bible is pretty clear that you draw near to him. He will draw near to you. And i want to pray for you if that was you, that's something you pray for. So God, right now, if there's anybody in this room that just confessed sin, wants for you to draw near to them and to change their lives. God, would you meet him here this morning in a way that would radically, radically set their life in a different direction? trajectory. So God, for the rest of us, as we scatter back into our lives, into this world, back into Father's Day, whatever types of celebrations we have, whatever types of just rest of the day that we have, God, we just, we welcome your presence. Help us to be attuned to who you are, to what you're doing. We want to walk in the way of Jesus. So that's why we pray even right now. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in San Luis Obispo, and on the Central Coast, as it is in heaven. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen.